Through the fathomless depths of space swims the star turtle, the great Atuan. And on its back are four nerds trying to figure out just what it is that makes their Terry Pratchett's work both timely and timeless. So find yourself a stupid-looking kid. Maybe don't store the poison next to the sugar dish. And join us on our journey through the amazing Maurice and his educated rodents and the complete discography. Okay, so here we are. Tonight we are discussing the 28th book in the Discworld series, The Amazing Maurice and His Educated Rodents. Again, published in 2001, Jesus Christ, Terry. This is like a thousand pages in one year. Yeah, that's pretty epic, honestly. Uh, So let's quickly run down our very thematically appropriate titles for the evening. Uh, Anna, you want to lead us off? Sure, I'm Anna, and for tonight, I am Batteries Not Included. I am Justin, also known as Lather, Rinse, Repeat. And I am Scott, a.k.a. Warranty Void. And I am Aaron, also known as Wash Before Serving. And yes, that is yet another returning guest. Scott, do you want to remind everybody who you are? Uh, Yeah, I am Scott Paladin. I am a podcaster and general internet person. Um, So you might know me from such things as the uh, Monster Mechanics podcast or Breathing Space Fading Frontier or the N7 Project. Yeah, Breathing Space Fading Frontier, which by the time this episode launches will probably be close to the finale? No, halfway through the second season. Uh, April, right? Yeah, yeah, end of April. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we'll be halfway through season two. Mm-hmm. We're going to finish up in September, I think. Yeah, and I, I lean heavily on Scott's advice for... Uh, actually, I think everybody on this call tonight has leaned heavily on Scott's advice for uh, <laughs> both the physical and, and uh, software side of uh, podcasting. Well, don't blame me if things go wrong. Uh, I mean... <laughs> yes, uh, I, I'm. You, you basically handpicked all of our microphones, right? Except for Aaron's, yeah. No, the, my mine was uh, courtesy of um, the the stop hack and roll folks, our hated enemies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you want to hear about Scott's journey into Discworld, uh, go back and listen to the other one he was on. Oh yeah, Jingo. All right, uh, so I am going to read the summary tonight um, because the next book is a Vimes book, and thus it is Justin's job. This is just the rolling thing that I've only that now I only do summary for Vimes books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've snuck out of this. <laughs> <laughs> On the road from nowhere special to nowhere much better, we meet the following: Maurice, a talking cat with a heart of gold, a clan of intelligent rats, and Keith, their pet boy, an itinerant musician. Wait, no, sorry, let me go back and fix something. Maurice, a scam artist talking cat with a taste for gold. Maurice is a little bit concerned about he, how he got intelligent. He never ate any of the rubbish from the heap outside Unseen University, but isn't overly troubled. The particular con that Maurice has devised over time with this assortment of characters is a take on the Pied Piper. The strong, smart, and creative rats take over a town, displacing the local kikis, and cause extra creative trouble. Then Keith wanders in and offers to solve the rat problem for 30 bucks. The rats waltz out of town, and Keith and Maurice leave with $30 and the town's gratitude, most of the time. This is an ethical dilemma for Dangerous Beans, the nearly blind thought leader of the clan, and his adjutant and assistant, Peaches. While Maurice assures them that they're only harming 
governments, not real people. Dangerous Beans is developing ethical philosophy from first principles and thinks that theft is theft, no matter how you slice it. Hammond Park, the traditional leader, read big and tough, has some different dilemmas. Cooperating with a cat, for one, and watching his own back as he ages, in particular, keeping an eye on the organized and brilliant Darktan, a younger male who leads as effectively with words as Hammond Park does with deeds. There is an agreement made that the town of Bad Blintz and Uberwald will be the one last job before they go their separate ways. Maurice to new and different forms of crime, and the rats to seek a place far from humans to develop their society in peace. Upon their arrival in the town, nothing goes to plan. The changelings discover extensive rat tunnels, traps, poisons, but no rats. On the surface, Keith and Maurice discover a town deep in the throes of a rat plague, near famine conditions, and an unheard of bounty per rat tail to rat catchers who seem to nearly run the place. And was that an aglet on that rat tail? Keith and Maurice accidentally reveal themselves to Militia Grimm, a teenage girl who liberally applies narrativium to everything in her life and is also the mayor's daughter. She very quickly discovers their original plan, but upon the revelation of the underground situation by Sardines, another rat, equally quickly reshuffles the story cards, and Keith and Maurice are dragged along for a little light B&E at the rat catcher's house. They are, in turn, discovered by the rat catchers, who imprison them and capture Hammond Park to use as a ringer in the night's events, a rat-coursing pit. Meanwhile, underground, Maurice encounters a malevolent entity named Spider, a rat king made by the rat catchers, and the secret mover behind much of the action. While the humans are rescued by dangerous beans and peaches, Darktan, Sardines, and Nourishing lead a desperate, improvised rescue of Hamport from the rat pit in a series of scenes impossible to summarize without doing disservice to Sir Terry's writing. As they escape, Darktan stumbles into an ancient trap and has a near-death experience, but is saved by a combination of providence and nourishing one of which is a rat. They return to the clan as a changed rats, though Hammond Park succumbs to his injuries and leaves Darktan as the de facto leader. Spider toys with Maurice and Dangerous Beans, eventually seeking to come to an understanding with Dangerous Beans, its intellectual equal. However, in a recurring Discworld theme, Dangerous Beans understands that Spider considers other people just things and rejects it as pure evil. While Spider attempts to blast away Dangerous Beans' and Maurice's intellect, a fire breaks out and releases the cat from Spider's control. The cat does what a cat does, and destroys the entity known as Spider by slicing apart the knot holding the rats together. The last remaining bits of Maurice save Dangerous Beans from the fire, and then dies. In a cameo by our best friend Death, the soul of Maurice negotiates away one more of his nine lives in order to stay the bone rat's paw and revive Dangerous Beans. This isn't the end, though. The town is sent away for a real rat piper, who arrives the morning after the dramatic underground combat. But Keith, Militia, and the rats use the power of narrative to defeat the Piper, who, it turns out, is just a higher class of scam artist. That would be the end for a normal book, but this is her Terry we're talking about. The rats, with Maurice as their agent, negotiate a home for themselves in Bad Blintz. It's not exactly happily ever after. Nothing ever is. And if someone claims everything will be perfect, you should probably double-check your wallet. But at least there's peace and reconciliation, and employment for Keith, and a warm place by a fire in an old lady's cottage for Maurice. No, of course not. Maurice travels on, seeking a new stupid-looking kid to get his claws into. Crimes cat. Yeah, this is a completely standalone Discworld novel, except with some nods to other Discworld, you know, known quantities. Yeah, at best, Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to see something where all of the all of the Discworld references, rather than like we've been building more and more and more lore, and at this point, it's hitting mm-hmm. it's hitting the realm of like if you haven't read the previous stuff you're going to be lost um, like we saw with the truth. Yeah. And 
here it's clearly Discworld to anybody who knows Discworld, but it's just you don't need any of that background. Yeah, it's it is all very standalone. Like there are, I mean, there are hints of other stuff, but it is it it's almost entirely divorced from the rest of the disc in terms of linkage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's you know we're probably going to talk so much about all the main characters that I think we can just skip ahead to the the impressions because I'm sure we will talk all of these folks to death. <laughs> um, Justin, let's start with you. Um, so this is great. Um, I, I I I am I am a horror fan. I would say I can't watch horror movies or television, but I like reading it, and I like I particularly love comics and games that are horror. This shit is fucking unhinged <laughs> and it's a, it's classified as ya which is the mind-blowing thing i mean yeah i part of that is because you can you can do some real fucked up shit in ye hey i'm looking at you all of red wall mm. <laughs> uh, yeah well and and pratchett and gaiman were good friends and like have you read gaiman's uh neil gaiman's stuff he does not hold back with chi- with with the young adult yeah. stuff either yeah, it, it is but um yeah no this is a, like this is i read these all digitally there's no way to actually know because they're all every single file every single file in kindle format is formatted differently so they are all <laughs> lying to you about how long they are um it feels it feels i just from a general feel this is much tighter than i would say most other um Oh, absolutely. Than mm-hmm. other Discworld books. Especially especially compared to a lot of the ones that we've had recently, which yeah. have been a lot of books. Mm-hmm. There is no fat on this story. Mm-hmm. They do not fart around at all. Yeah, I, I forgot how quickly they like everything starts to go sideways in bad blints. Yeah. It is it is a wonderful build too of like the start of like there are no rats here. Mm-hmm. And just the 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 slow build and build and build and build until, and I think there I think you know there are few authors I have encountered who fuck with typography mm-hmm. more than uh, <laughs> than Terry Pratchett. The first time you see like those bold the the the, the Super Bowl italics, you know that's uh, the the roller coaster goes uh turns into the tower of terror (laughs) yeah and you're just going down i also really like that it's got the um the two threads of the um story like people figuring out what's going on because you have the maurice and keith thread where they're like oh shit this town is besieged by rats there's no food this is what what is going on and then you have the rats who are like there's no rats here. Uh-huh. And it's it's really interesting because you're seeing these two completely separate perspectives because they're not talking to each other at that uh-huh. point. And it's not until you hit the point where Sardines meets up with Maurice and Keith that like things start to cohese together. Uh-huh. And also the most genre-aware character in the history of genre-aware characters. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. I don't know what to think about militia. <laughs> the the thing I hate about militia is that 
things do work according to how her brain works. Right. Yeah. They shouldn't, but they right. do. And, and specifically in Discworld, they do. Yeah. She's like 30, 30 degrees off from being a witch. Mm-hmm. Like she's so close to being, to thinking about things the way that, that uh, Granny would, uh, but that she almost buys into it in a way that Granny never thinks so. It's got a little bit bunk that it's like she thinks they should do. And whereas Granny would say that it's sh- that despite the fact that it does, that's not the way it should be. It should be more reasonable <laughs> than that. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this book, like every, every time I think about my favorite books in Discworld, I never remember Amazing Maurice. And every time I read it, I'm like, why don't I put it in the top, you know, because it's not mainline, it's not, you know, technically is mainline fiction, but it's like doesn't involve any of the the main characters that we're we're used to. And it's a really good book. Yeah, no, this is top five easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. This, it, I, I somehow in my previous read throughs of the series, I had mentally categorized Amazing Maurice as not Discworld somehow mm-hmm. like or or maybe it was that it's somehow in the realm of like the science of Discworld or something like that, where it's. It, you know, not really mainline. You could skip it. It's fine. And I am retroactively super fucking mad about that. <laughs> like, this is such a good book. I cannot believe I slept on it for so mm-hmm. long. And a lot of the lists don't even have it on yeah. the list. Like, a lot of them put it with, you know, with his completely, you know, with like... Bermeliads um, or... Yeah, you know, the Long people. Earth and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, that's no, Discworld. No. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just like mainline Discworld. It's like it's one of the top Discworld books as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Like this is such a good book. And it's also got that thing that I think all of us on this uh call tonight love, which is the like heist gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It's a it starts off as a heist movie and ends up as a horror, which is great. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to steal that structure. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay, so so there there is um Gosh, there was a, there was an actual play that um, was really good that that did that with vampires. That was really good. <laughs> um, also, Jed McKay's Black Cat series. It is about a heist to steal eternal life from an eldritch like elder god. Which fantastic. solid premise? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's mostly it's mostly fun hijinks until it's not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, heist and horror. The, the, like they're they're they're. They're the peanut butter and chocolate of genres. (laughs) Like it's yeah, they shouldn't mix well, but yeah, yeah, it really, it really goes together well. Yeah, they both, they both, they both ride on tension. That's what it is. (laughs) And then, of course, also, you know, I'm a huge fan of Rats of Nim and Redwall and Watership Down, and you know, so the clan I just love. They're they're so good. It is Terry getting to flex all of his like, um, all of his like philosophy muscles all at once, and getting to have the be cute rats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that I think that that part is important is that the rats in the way they are portrayed are very adorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until they're not. <laughs> yeah. Well. That- the fact that there that he specifically chose rats, I mean, obviously he was pulling from the Pied Piper idea, but like a lot of other authors would have choos- chosen a slightly more traditionally cute animal, maybe even mice by comparison. Mm-hmm. But rats are just a fantastic um, analog for what he was trying to do because they do live communally mm-hmm. like that. They do have complex family structures and like, and they 
you know, they're at home in a in a rat eat rat world. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I think there's like there there is a a cultural space that rats occupy. Yes, as that they are something they they're they're the only like mammal that we call vermin, really. Uh, or sure, yeah, like that, that it comes to my mind. I'm a Californian, so I don't actually know what vermin is. So so don't don't <laughs> ask me. Uh, <laughs> Cause, and, and there's a big difference between like if you have a mouse in your house and if you have a rat in your that's house. That's true. You know, a mouse in your house, it's like, oh, that's that's too bad. Well, you know, get the the, the cat will take care of it. Um, uh, but you know, a rat is they're big, and you don't necessarily want your cat to take care of it because the cat was not going to come out of that unscathed. <laughs> I've had experience with both rats and mice. And it's really interesting how different they are in temperament, mm-hmm. um, especially in how they interact with humans. This are, these are the domestic uh, domestic rice, uh, mice and rats. Um, mice think of you as like the way a, uh, like a lizard would treat you. Like they don't interact with a human as another pe- another thing or another creature. Whereas rats think that you're a, just a big rat and they want to integrate you into their little society. Well, I mean, like to, down to the point where they, they uh, play fight and you can actually tickle a rat. Um, you need a, a bat sensor to translate down the noise because their laughter is supersonic to our hearing. It's up in the like 50 kilohertz range or something like that. And so uh, by lowering the octave down to a, to the point where you can hear it, uh, you'll hear them make these little squeak noises when you like tussle and rustle with them. And we know that they enjoy it because if you uh, put one in a uh, like a, a path area and put them on one end of it and you put your hand on the other end and you make the little tickly motion, they come running over. They're like, this is the oh. best. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is like this is going to make me want to like this book is going to make me want to get a rat. And I can't <laughs> in my house. Oh. They are. The, the, the only trouble is you have to get two because they're social. So you really, mm-hmm. if you if you have a solo rat for any amount of time, they get weird because <laughs> they don't have anybody to interact <laughs> with. Uh, but they are fantastic. <laughs> like like all of us after yeah. two years of <laughs> yeah, quarantine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine what quarantine did to all of us. And imagine that's happening on a smaller scale. I, I think that is actually like something that's very important is because rats are very like are very communal animals and that's yes. and that's like the backbone of this book. Yeah. Yes. Good job bringing it back, and, Justin. I'm, yes, yes. I host two podcasts now. So. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about another thing with the kind of broad impressions um, mm-hmm. very quickly, which is that as as Justin was talking about, this is a dark book. It's super dark. It's so much darker than basically any Discworld we've hit so far. The minute the words Rat King get drawn, I'm like, shit, no, fuck, I'm out, I'm out. I had to put the book down, and I'm like, nope, weird, I, I cannot do this at nighttime. Yeah, like, you know, we've got the on-screen death of a major character. Multiple other incidental deaths. With cannibalism. Death, death by squashing. Uh, and the death by poison is really chilling. Yeah, and they do not shy away from the description of what happens during the poisonings. And we've also got like an evil antagonist, like mm-hmm. that. That this this book, um, it really feels like Terry's kind of being like, "Hey, look at what I can do." Well, now. and, and Spider know. feels like an eldritch abomination in a way that a lot of other uh, villains in Discworld don't. Even yeah. even the things from the dungeon dimensions don't feel quite as 
malicious. The, the dungeon dimensions the, feel like that they are that they are doing bad things for the sake of doing bad things. Yeah. They they are doing bad things because the plot requires it. Spider is just fucking evil. And, yeah. And like all like all Terry antagonists has a reason for all good Terry antagonists, I will say, has a very good reason for being evil. Uh, but it is verbally in the cool motive, still murder. Spider has like intelligence and motive mm-hmm. the way that Belshamroth did not. Yeah. yeah, he's more of a character. Spider is the Borg Queen. Sorry, is Spider the Borg Queen? If the Borg Queen wasn't horny. <laughs> yeah, like, like I can't remember anything in Life Fantastic that was horny enough for it to be the Borg Queen. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in a way, yeah, I suppose so. Um, I mean, they, they're both, they're both a specific level of horror that is about stripping away autonomy and intelligence and consuming individuality and distinctiveness into a whole. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that that's, yeah, the sp- spider is the boar in, in a way. I, I think that it is, uh, honestly, one of the most like scary bits of this book is from Maurice's perspective as he can feel spider like eating away at his at his at his hisness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and especially since you know all of the rats and Maurice came upon their sapience so recently so mm-hmm. having it stripped away the memory of not having it is fresh for them and we get a lot of establishment to to both Maurice and the changelings that they they are aware of how special that makes them. Mm-hmm. That there's mm-hmm. a lot of conversation, and this is something that all of them are thinking about. Maurice in his internal monologue, and Dangerous Beans and and uh, Peaches explicitly in talking about it. That like, what does it mean to be a person who has sentience and sapience? And like, what does it mean? Like, how does that change us? What is that? How do we have a relationship with the Kikis or not versus humans or not? Where is our place in the world? Where is our place with each other? Uh-huh. It's a it's a a big theme coming up to that and just suddenly have that, you know, it was pointed out and now it might be robbed of them is effective. And that whole theme of like intelligence before context is really interesting. Yes. Sort of exemplified humorously with the names, but then, you know, more seriously with the discussions of like dreams were a big surprise. Yeah. God, I love the names. (laughs) It's such a good bit and it, also totally works and they're also just good names yeah it means that all of the characters are super memorable even though you have a very large cast yeah Yeah. one of my favorite side characters is big savings the matriarch yeah but don't forget doubting tomato (laughs) which (laughs) which has to be a reference to doubting thomas yeah yeah that's it's just a joke character but you're never gonna forget him (laughs) okay uh i guess we should stick to our structure at least a little bit Maybe. Yeah, I'm just like looking at rat pictures right now. <laughs> I like I, I've just got these scrolled so I can just like have good brain vibes. Yeah. I mean there's definitely some very strong themes in this book. Where mm-hmm. some yes. of the previous books sort of had wibbly wobbly ones. Yeah, this is this is there is a lot of this book that is about uh, as to to reference back to Hogfather, the rising ape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and yeah. like the 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 origin of a of a self-made society like these are you know these these new creatures that have not existed previously in the world trying to figure out what it is to be themselves um which is fantastic and speed running from like you know 
small C clan to, to big P people. Yeah. Because they started out with Hammond Park as, you know, the, the, the leader because he was big and strong and tough. But then following that, that transition that all societies go through from being the leader because you're big and strong and tough to being the leader because you can, because you can think, you know, just a half step ahead of everybody else to then being the leader because people want you to be the leader. Yeah. And Dartan kind of filling both of those latter Mm -hmm. roles. Well, and I like that, that they transition away from it, but still like recognize the value of, of a character like Hammond Pork. Like Hammond Pork doesn't fall. Mm -hmm. Um, He just his the time moves past him and they still recognize where they're coming from and the value that he had Mm -hmm. and still uh, give him a great memorial. And I do really like that they give that Terry gives Hammond Pork such a, such a clear internal dialogue where he's even he who from the outside is positioned as, you know, just a big dumb brawler, has a strong internal life and it's more just the the inertia of his previous life that is holding him back than yeah. anything else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the other big theme that I pulled out which is really Terry planting this flag in in what he, he later defines as narrativium in some of the Science of Discworld books. The thing that drive the the fifth element that drives uh the Discworld, which is this, you know, this the power of stories. Uh and I think that you know, it's it's shadowed in the rat's progression as well, because their ability to tell stories is is what starts to, de- to really develop them into what they're becoming. You know, they're, they're they have the the younger rats have the, a fear of the dark because they're telling stories about what it is. You know, if you don't mm-hmm. think about something, you don't tell a story about it. Yeah. And then the the thing that always catches me off guard is uh, there's a part where Dark Tan is having his sort of not not apotheosis, but like near death experience slash becoming who he needs to be, uh, where mm-hmm. it suddenly shifts into nourishing later telling the story. Yeah, that was such a that was such an interesting moment where the the moment becomes about the story told about it literally within the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, stories. Very cool, yeah. Speaking of stories, I want to talk about Mr. Bunsey as a theme. Um, I mean, so, you know, there's the, um, on its face, you know, Terry's kind of poking fun at, like, the Beatrix Potter mm-hmm. um, types of things where, you know, it's like the, the clothed animals that are talking to humans, etc. Or, I mean, possibly... With maybe tinges of Redwall in there too, because um, the everyone wears clothes there. And Ratty Rupert has uh, a sword. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like you know the the thing where the rats have latched onto this as like a sacred object, and and like the the idea of like you know is this is this a lie or is it something to strive for? Because I think that if the, if the town's mayor hadn't like been obsessed with Mr. Bunsey as a child, I don't think the story would have ended the way it did. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, we joke about memes, but I, uh, I am old enough to know that they had a meaning before their current meaning. And <laughs> the, the idea, you know, that shared knowledge of a formative experience in the form of Mr. Bunsey creates you're right that that points of social contact for them to build off of yeah and it it's interesting how 
like especially at the climax, once we get to Dark Tan St. Crispin's Day speech, how he begins to use the language of their common cultural mm-hmm. experience to craft new narratives about themselves and give them context in a way that, you know, is kind of uniquely theirs. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me that they it seems like the Mr. Bunsey book that they had is possibly the darkest one. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Or one of the one of the darker Mr. Bunsey books, because it seems like Mr. Bunsey was, you know, in at least some semblance of real danger. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, the duck losing a shoe. <laughs> but it's like Mr. Bunsey as speculative fiction. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is a couple of times, I think a, a couple of people point out that like a talking rabbit would be ridiculous. Um, but like. Didn't that happen in moving pictures? <laughs> Wasn't there a talking there rabbit was, at one point? Yes. <laughs> uh, and also the discussion of clothes on a snake. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> how would he wear a tie? He's tubular. <laughs> and then also, you know, Dark Tan being like, no, you can't wear a waistcoat. I've tried. <laughs> Tool belt handy. Yeah. Oh, Dark Tan. <laughs> I, I love him. He is the, um, I, I he is the the great leaders have greatness thrust upon them mm-hmm. trope. He's so Vimesy. I, I I want the Vimes Dark Tan crossover fanfic, please. <laughs> and then there's sardines too. Yeah, sardines. Who honestly, I think of especially what he does at the end. He really is the fool. He's a Shakespearean fool. Mm-hmm. He speaks truth to power, and he does not want to be in charge. And he has a hat. <laughs> oh, gosh. I was just looking at the cast for the upcoming animated feature. Um, I'm so excited. Hugh Laurie as Maurice. Amelia Clark <sighs> as Militia. David Thewlis as Boss Man. I'm not sure who Boss Man is. Maybe the mayor? Who knows? Maybe. It's probably one of the rat catchers. Oh, maybe. Uh, Himesh, Himesh Patel is Keith. I, tr- I started trying to write the title of this book, and I came out with Maurice and this amazing Technicolor Dream Ghost. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that would, you know what? If he'd written a sequel? I'm wondering, if, be- I'm wondering if the boss man might be Spider. Oh, maybe. Could be. To sort of hide the, the spoilery character. Gemma Archerton is Peaches. Hugh Bonneville is the mayor. David Tennant as Dangerous Beans. He's reprising the role. He's, he was in it in the radio drama. He was drama. in the radio yeah. drama, yeah. And Peter Serafinowitz, like in the audiobook, is death. Yeah. Beautiful. Rob Bryden as the Pied Piper. Hugh Bonneville as the mayor. Yeah. Fantastic. Joe Sugg is Sardines. I'm really excited for this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this they, is good. I, don't, I don't know if they've named Dark Tan yet. Hmm. I don't know the recognize this name. Uh, Arian Bakere. Hmm. Um, he did the voice of uh, the bear in um, his Dark Materials TV show, oh. I think, if I'm judging by the by the picture on his IMDb page correctly. Oh, he was he was the Duke of he was uh, one of the Dukes of Hell in Good Omens. Oh, OK, cool. Yeah, that was a diversion. Um, oh, no, he's not. I, I got that wrong. He's a different character in his materials, which I also haven't seen. So excuse me for the misinformation. He was also in the Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell uh, adaptation. Yeah, very good. A uh, very good uh, cast overall. I, I've like, I'm very happy that there is a, um, that there is what looks like a, you know, at least well casted adaptation coming. 
uh, of a Discworld property that I love. And if you're going to if you're going to adapt a Discworld book, I think this might be a really good one to choose if you're because you're not guaranteed if you're not guaranteed a you know four movie deal to start doing guards books or something. Yeah, this one stands alone. It doesn't need a bunch of explanation to do. It doesn't need any setup. It doesn't need a bunch of explanation to show up what it is. You can just you can just drop it, and it's really good. Like you would have to do so much work to something like pyramids to make that into a movie. Um, I do wonder how they're going to dial down the violence a little bit, but Mm -hmm. and it's and it's so tight too that um, it would it would adapt really really well. Yeah, it helps a lot that it's shorter. Yeah, so you know the the other sort of broad theme is this idea of like the trap of being stuck in one way of thinking which you see all over the place with the people reacting to the rats, with the rats reacting to, you know, older rats reacting to other th- younger rats, um, you know, and, and sometimes they can be disassembled and sometimes they, you know, you have to sort of cut through them. And that's, the, that's the, the theme that like dangerous beings definitely directly engages with the idea of like challenging those assumptions mm-hmm. and either finding them to be useful and valid or discarding them mm-hmm. seems to be the work of, of a, of a person like that in society that, that's what the philosopher does right is is work through those from first principles mm-hmm. murder is bad <laughs> for example yeah. do not we where you're eat do not whittle where you're gonna right. eat <laughs> yeah a, a lot of those things that are very similar to sort of the the proto-abrahamic religion things where like you know you work them into the into the religion they had very clear like Entry points like don't eat shellfish. Probably not that good of an idea without refrigeration, that sort of thing. Or like yep. pork has so many diseases if it's not properly, <laughs> you know, uh raised and etc. Mm-hmm. You can get super sick. You know, and then the other thing that Grant Scott mentioned Granny a few times way back in the beginning, but you know, the mm-hmm. the thing that makes spider evil is that he, it treats people like things. Uh, which is very a very Terry statement. Yeah, because the source of goodness is empathy, for which Spider has none. Mm-hmm. Did you want to talk about the capitalism stuff? Sure. Yeah, I didn't know if you guys are done. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a. It's not explicitly called out. You'd have to engage with it at a higher level. But there's a whole capitalism versus the people, like allegory in here, especially with the way the rat catchers are sort of treating the town where they are you know, maximizing their profit by hitting every single angle to extract more and more from the people to the point where they're, uh, at first they start off by catching all of the rats, but then they continue to, uh, quote unquote, catch rats, even though they're bits of shoelace is the, um, turning in bits of shoelace as rat tails. And then they are, um, stealing the food themselves so that they can, which they are then selling (laughs) and, um, you know, additional Profit margin on profit margin on profit margin, just in the in this in the um, search of plus running the uh, rat coursing. Yeah, plus running the rat and breeding the rats so that they can uh, uh, have more rats for coursing, and in fact breeding stronger rats in the meantime. Um, yeah, it's, there's like every single way they can exploit the society around them, they do, and it's brought up a couple of times. The idea of like you know people need to take action. You know, you have to band together to take action against. It's forces like that. And if everybody got together, they could do it. 
Um, and that's essentially what happens eventually once once the the town turns on the rat catchers and in several other instances. Um, it's not it's not one of the stronger themes, but it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that though. And I think it's it's telling as well that we've got essentially three different categories of con artist acting here. Mm-hmm. That we have the the rat catchers who are like working very strongly within the system, mm-hmm. like Scott said, to to maximize their profits, etc. Um, and really exploit this town. Then you've got Keith, Maurice, and the rats who are, you know, going from town to town and, you know, making a modest amount of money. Um, and then you mm-hmm. have the actual Piper who is like, you know, raking in the money for a, you're know, just having a high pitched whistle. Yeah, you know, comparing the the modest take that they that Keith asks or that Maurice asks for, not Keith. Keith would do it for free, of like thirty dollars, and the the real rat cat rat Piper walks in and is like, well, you know, or his adjutant is like, well, it's going to be like twelve hundred. Yeah, you you give me several hundred dollars just for showing. Yeah, it's the call. It's it's every it's every service employee that I've ever had to call out to my house. Yeah, well, it's four hundred dollars for me stepping in the door. Um, if you want to actually repair your furnace, that's going to be an extra. Oh yeah, diagnostic fee and all that. Or in my case, once it was well, I've turned off your gas, and if you want it back on. (laughs) Uh yeah, and um. Especially with the with the kind of actual rat piper, there's the thing where he's built the like mystique around himself, and it's like, oh no, the the rat catcher requires like a certain a certain breakfast, and it's like it's kind of a got a rock star thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's very funny. It's like I yeah, I don't yeah. think that was like a requires thing. It was no, I need I, I want this, and you're gonna give it to me because I'm the only person who can give it to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I it's it's. I, I did enjoy that. It's very funny. And then like the 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 the, the Piper calls out Keith and he's just like and Keith gets to pick up on it and he's like, Yeah, no, I know what you're doing here. <laughs> and the Piper's like, Yeah, what's your what 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 uh hustle do you have going here? And there's that little sort of side sidestep into like gunslinger stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the the showdown. <laughs> Go for your pipe. <laughs> Well, since we, we just talked about the capitalism one, and mine relates back to that, I've forgotten to put it in here, mm-hmm. um, which was the the collective action thing where at one point it's around Dark Tan, the surviving rats were scrambling aimlessly for a foothold on the walls. Fools, he thought, four or five of you together to t- could make any dog wish you'd ne- he'd never been born. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Any uh, Four or five of you together could make any dog wish you'd never been born. <laughs> but the, But you scrabble and panic and you get picked off one at a time. Which is a, a perfect example of of how you know the little guy when he bands together can be powerful, but if everybody's looking out only for themselves, will be ultimately weaker. Mm-hmm. I've got a few from like the end of the book, and then most of them go back to their own towns and set their traps and put down their poisons because some minds you couldn't change with a hatchet. But if you see the world as a different place, it's not perfect, but it works. The thing about stories is you have to pick the ones that last. Mm-hmm. And then also sardines with the uh, better laugh than scream, boss. It's a start. You got to dance, boss. You can think and you can fight, but the world's always moving. And if you want to stay ahead, you got to dance. It's very Muhammad Ali. Yeah. For me, there there was one particular thing when uh, what should we call it when Beans confronts Spider and realizes that like 
this is not the big rat. This is the bone rat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And has thus just create like has basically created like realized, oh hey, I'm dealing with Satan now. Okay, okay, I need to talk about something that I'm just like so so bad about because it's the one thing missing from this book. <laughs> okay, death of rats. Mm. <laughs> He's. Yeah, death. Death doesn't actually appear in death of rats. No, uh, Maurice like, catches like, him. Yeah, Maurice catches oh, that's him. Right. Yeah, but but the, but we don't get to see like. I think it would have been very interesting to see death of rats and a rat interact. Yeah, I would mm. have loved to see oh, death of okay. rats and beans interact in that like or relating to that scene where Maurice gives up a second life to. Mm. I mean. It, if we're going to go straight into fan fiction, <laughs> there's a discussion. There's a discussion to be had where Dangerous Beans is talking to Death of Rats and realizes that Death of Rats isn't the death of the changelings because Death of Rats is only for the rats mm. and they're different. Mm, interesting. I like that. That that would be like because I'm thinking about how the fact that that Death of Rats only says squeak and therefore it doesn't have. I mean, maybe he does have a, a rich inner life. We don't know. Presumably he does, but there is he does not communicate in the same way they do and therefore is somehow different than them. Although Death of Rats does show up to take that that uh, that guy in um, uh, soul music. Oh, okay. So if you, there is some crossover there. But like the world is run by the belief that people have in That's it. True. And so if, if Dangerous Beans convinces the, 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 the changelings enough to create their own death, they might, mm-hmm. you know. I am going to cheat uh, because Terry Pratchett won the Carnegie Medal for this book. Uh, and his his speech, the full text, I'll, I'll put a link to the full text of it in the show notes, but there's this quote that I pulled from it that I think summarizes his entire thesis for the book. Fantasy is more than wizards. For instance, this book is about rats that are intelligent, but it is also about the even more fantastic idea that humans are capable of intelligence as well. Far more beguiling than the idea that evil can be destroyed by throwing a piece of expensive jewelry into a volcano is the possibility that evil can be diffused by talking. The fantasy of justice is even more interesting than the fantasy of fairies and more truly fantastic. In the book, the rats go to war, which is, I hope, gripping. But then they make peace, which is astonishing. Yeah. I Such love a how writer. Tolkien just catches strays at random people. <laughs> <laughs> like, he has been dead on the ground for almost 50 years and has been catching stray bullets every God damn <laughs> I mean, I think it was, you know, I, I don't think he was throwing throwing hands at J.R. Tolkien so much as all of the people who came after and made fantasy in in sort of the shadow of the Lord of the Rings. He's he's talking about the cargo cult yeah. uh writers, the ones who who re- recreate the structures without understanding what makes yeah, it good. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at Lord of the Rings itself, it does have a lot to say on these kind of darker themes of evil and society, etc. But mm-hmm. a lot of the like high fantasy that followed it, not so much. Uh, other fun bits. I would love to call call out the um, the audio book. I start the story is I started this as an audio book, and then halfway through, my my copy of it crapped out, and I had to switch unexpectedly to reading it, and. 
I, I would recommend everybody do both, weirdly enough, because on the one hand, you definitely need to read it to see the amazing illustrations of the rat language, mm-hmm. which I had not mm-hmm. I didn't hadn't seen up to that point. And I, and I adore them. But also, uh, if you listen, you get to hear Stephen Briggs's very slightly off American accent, which is a joy, um, <laughs> at least for me, I because I'm a weirdo and I love these things. But he he makes Maurice sound like a used <laughs> oh, car yeah. salesman. So the, the heavy German accent for um, for militia or maybe even Austrian yeah. got a little yeah, grating yeah. at times. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoy the audiobook though. It's um it's a lot of fun. Is is American Maurice accent saying government money, kid? Is great. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Oh uh, yeah. I I per- I've got two bits that I want to call out. The the first is like <laughs> the first is a serious bit, which is I really enjoy Maurice developing a conscience throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. In particular, I enjoy the part where he freaks out about developing a conscience and the voice in his head. And he's like, is it the rat I ate? Is is that rat talking to me? <laughs> his editor's running around inside me. Yeah, like that he he becomes like concerned that like if he were to throw up, he would like throw up additives and his conscience and everything. And it's it's wild. Mm-hmm. But you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff along those lines um, with Maurice developing a conscience that you know parallels the rats, interestingly. But it's it's very different, like because Maurice yeah. is not a, I mean, cats are social animals, but yeah, Maurice is Tom cats not quite as much. <laughs> it's interesting that the 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 changelings get their get become themselves sort of quote unquote honestly by eating the rubbish by doing ratty things mm-hmm. and then uh Maurice gets it by eating them who have already changed so by doing a cat thing mm-hmm. doing a cat thing and very specifically by he kind of steals the the sentience from one of them mm. you know he's not he doesn't come by it from the source he comes by it sort of uh parasitically a little bit which is a little bit mirrors his con yeah. artist nature mm-hmm. and yeah i love all the parts with like the rats learning to dream and things like that. My other my my other favorite bit is when militia gives the rat catchers the poison, which is in oh, fact God. a laxative. Um, <laughs> but but you know they they with all their poisons around they legitimately think that they've been poisoned by something deadly, and then she gives them you know. There's enough antidote for one of you. You get to figure out who gets it. <laughs> then the question is, what's in the antidote? Adi- what, what's in the antidote? More laxative. More laxative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, furthermore, furthermore, proving that there is nothing in this world more terrifying than a uh, teenage girl with something to prove. <laughs> With a dangerously large bag of stuff. And I think it's like Keith says, like, I don't think you're a very nice person. <laughs> and she's just sort of like, shrug. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a, a little bit of her that kind of reminds me of Mabel from Gravity Falls. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit. <laughs> what was I going to say? Yeah, the, the going back a bit to the... To the um, developing philosophy and stuff there's that long bit where there are, where one of dark tan squads is sitting around uh 
I can't remember who dies, but, you know, gets killed by squashing. And uh, there's a long sort of battlefield philosophy discussion. One one of them is like, you know, you know the, the invisible bit inside of you that that is you. And I don't know, that whole section is just really fun. Yeah. And then, and it's the, that they don't really have the language to discuss it, right? Because they're like, well, that bit mm-hmm. inside of you. Oh, yeah. The the, the purple wobbly bit? You mean the, the pink gray bit? Like the, the purple squishy <laughs> bit? <laughs> don't eat yeah. the green wobbly bit. Yeah. yeah. On, on Militia, also, uh, you know, just because I have a two voracious readers as daughters, the I get locked out of my room as a punishment was, I think, one of my favorite little <laughs> things. And of course, then she learns to lockpick because she gets locked out of her room as a punishment. Uh, and also her, you know, in many ways, I don't think this adventure has been properly organized. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's, and then she like, you know, proceeds to attempt to properly organize it. Mm-hmm. She's so good. Um, I mean, she's, she's yeah. like an absolute trash fire, but I love her. <laughs> yeah. I think we all... I'm not going to steal anybody's thunder, but I think we all desperately love a couple of the scenes with, with dark tan in oh, his yeah. big dead oh, yes. hero moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. God. I, he's like one of the most, he's one of the most straight up heroic Discworld heroes. Yeah. Like, and it's not like in the sense of like, we're going to lampshade it and it's and, and like, we're going to, it's not like we're going to lampshade it with carrot. No, but like he, he's heroic because they need a hero in the moment mm-hmm. and he and he's the one well placed to do it um and in fact has to step out of his normal comfort zone but he's the kind of character who becomes a rat uh, not a rat, becomes a trap breaker mm-hmm. because that is interesting to him and he's good at it and he knows how to teach others and then because that puts him at the at, you know sort of in line in the in the right place at the right time to become a leader he steps up yeah. and like i i can i have can't, I'm still not over the 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 two the moment where he's he uh he's going to save Ham and Ham and Pork and Ham and Pork has been uh thrown into the coursing pit and we get the little line where um you know Ham and Pork spat blood all right then he snarled and advanced on the puzzled dog now you will find how found out how a real rat dies and then only like five paragraphs later after Dark Tan has saved Ham and Pork and thrown himself in instead it's right you correct said dark tan loud enough for the watchers to hear now i'm going to show you how a rat can live which is just like cue me punching the air like with triumph and you know the the thing that burned the scene that really burned into my brain too just a moment or two later is when he's standing on the rafters with a lit match you know over this place that could very easily be a tinderbox and you know kill dozens of people and I don't think they ever explicitly say it, but he doesn't. Yeah. He yeah. could and he doesn't, which puts him immediately in the sort of highest echelons of, of what Terry respects in people. Which is why I want Dark Tan and yeah. Vimes together mm-hmm. so much. He makes the choice <laughs> to not kill them. And, you know, mm-hmm. that also, the thing of, you know, the concept of setting the fire and killing all those people is another thing that puts it into the like dark category, I would say. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, and then also the St. Crispin's day speech. I wasn't, I wasn't going to super indulge, but okay. Yes, please. Super indulging. Yeah. So this is when they they're going to war with the rats controlled by spider. Uh, good. And we'll go on and on until these tunnels are safe from end to end. And then we'll do it again until these tunnels are ours because 
Uh, Darktown grasped his sword, but leaned on it for a moment to catch his breath. And when he spoke next, it was almost a whisper. Because we're in the heart of the dark wood now, and we found the dark wood in our hearts. And for tonight, we are something terrible. He looked, took another breath, and his next words were heard, heard only by the rats closest to him. And we have nowhere else to go. Ugh. Yeah, the Kills. the build up that he does to that also yeah. is so it's so masterful, uh, and, and that sort of also plays into my my thesis of of sardines being the fool because, you know, he's the one who's like, no, you can't tell them that you don't you don't know what to do. You know, even if yeah. you make up a plan and you have to change it on the fly, tell them you have a plan. Yeah, yeah, and like that moment of because he's he's come out of his of his death like experience. Mm-hmm. And has now almost as much as anything else become is about to step into the role of a symbol for the rats, for the changelings. And having sardines pull him aside and be like, yeah, don't shy away from this. Lean into it because that's how you're going to that's how you're going to get through this Mm -hmm. is by being the symbol more than the rat. Mm. Um, It's fantastic. Yeah, definitely a sort of fool like moment. And marking all of him, all of the rats with, I think, with his own blood. Yeah. Yeah. With the blood from a wound. Yeah. So, <laughs> which yeah. is so religious that I cannot. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh oh, like the like the Christ allegory isn't already there. You know, a couple hundred years, not even a couple hundred years. Rats only live to be about three or four. If, in in if they do do really well, um, so like in like thirty years, there's gonna be a full blown rat religion around Dark Tan. <laughs> oh, and that's one of the really yeah. interesting things too is the implications of this in terms of like that rat generation time is really short and you know, there's Mm -hmm. the possibility for their society to develop very quickly. It already has. Mm -hmm. I guess if you, if, if not that I would want it to, but if you wanted to write them out of the story, you just come back two books later and they've all uh, uh, left the planet on a little spaceship because they advanced (laughs) too quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is a book that I've actually read to my kids at least twice now. Uh, I think it's it's very consumable as a middle grades slash YA novel, uh, even though it's really dark. I think it works really well. And like you know, looking back at when I was a kid, I loved dark stuff. Like, oh yeah, kids kids love dark stuff. Yeah, it's the parents that don't like mm-hmm. the dark stuff. Kids love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh wait, no, I forgot my one little bit <laughs> that went in the Maurice scene with death. Uh, death tells them, of course there are no cat gods. That would be too much like work. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> That's a good line. Um, yeah. In terms of, in terms of standing up well to the test of time, um, I think there, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, all of the thematic things that make it stand up well. There's a couple of other things that are small in some ways, but for one thing, chapters in my Discworld book, but like, but Loved like it. actually, though, um, it's so much more readable. Terry, why didn't you do this? Like everywhere, because <laughs> he's a pantser. I don't know whether like having the chapters forced him to tighten up the book, or whether it helps the reader delineate between scenes, or some combination thereof. But having chapters makes it way more readable, and and also it really it fits well into the genre of fairy tale retelling with a twist and there's a lot of these in the YA and middle grade space even a lot of the like like Robin McKinley's oldest stuff a lot of that has also held up very well 
because it, you know, it gets into some of the core of the fairy stories and it's the shared, you know, shared knowledge base. If you know how, like, we all know when we start this, it's the Pied Piper. Like, you know, from the first couple of pages Um, and then you seeing how that plays out, you know, with the knowledge of how you think it's going to go. It's always really interesting. And I think that that's generally just a subgenre of YA that just holds up quite well. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, more and more creative entries in it all the time, too. Well, and like, especially by choosing to satirize or rework a, a something that's a bit more timeless, like like a fairy tale, as opposed to making a lot of what are now dated and very localized references to British and Australian television or something like that, right. you know, and, and where, you know. That um, definitely dates something. I don't know. Um, I still want him to take one pot shot at Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that not that we we don't love that stuff because oh, yeah. I mean, it's all it's all it's all gravy. But like, it definitely does make it more universal, uh, universally applicable mm-hmm. to more to a broader audience. Which for something like this, which is meant to be read to a first time reader, um, not first time reader, but I mean, a first time to Discworld reader. Uh, sort of entry point, an on-ramp to the series. It it makes it all so much easier. Speaking of Doctor Who and David Tennant as Dangerous Beans, though, Dangerous Beans facing down Spider has big uh, Doctor facing down the devil energy. Yeah. (laughs) The the other thing that I wanted to sort of call out is I've done a fair amount of of coursework on on leadership theory, uh, and there's really, like, two plus another two uh, types of leadership exemplified in in the book. Um, Ham and Pork and Dark Tan as this sort of uh, two sides. There's this idea of like lion and fox leaders. Uh, lion leaders being the traditional, you know, lead, yell a lot and, and you know, be big and, and intimidating versus fox leaders, which which work to to get people to do things with you as opposed to for you. Hey, it, we, we also have to talk about the because this is the British and in their army organization donkeys donkeys. They're the uh, the 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 popular phrase for uh, British generals in World War One were uh lions led by donkeys uh, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, well uh, and then in a couple of books we'll hear about rupert's i went to ted lasso immediately <laughs> <laughs> and then you know there, there's maurice uh who who leads through you know lies and half-truths and manipulations uh sort of set against dangerous beings who is too pure like his his thinking is is too good, and he's at one point described as like he he's dangerous because he believes that other people think like him. Yeah, yeah. I really I did like him as the. Well, I think it's a dark tan that likens him to his own job of being yeah. the, the trapper yeah. to go at, to search ahead and look for the dangerous ideas and think about them ahead of time, which is such a good metaphor and make them safe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that was that was really good. Other references to Discworld. I mean, it goes pretty light, but um, it we're adding to the universal rule of CMOT Dibbler, and that we now have the universal rule of colon and knobs because uh, Doppelpunkt is Sergeant Doppelpunkt literally means Sergeant Colon. <laughs> Doppelpunkt yep. is, is German for colon, and Knopf is knob. In, in the 
punctuation term, not the right. uh, anatomy. <laughs> not the anatomy. <laughs> and, you know, th- there's some echoes from the future that uh, I don't think we have to go directly into now, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've and we've also it's um we've already talked about this, but you know, there's lots of references, but they're all it's all Easter eggs, really. You know, you get addition you get a bit of additional context and additional laugh out of knowing that it's unseen universities magical waste, but yeah. it could be any magic university. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is completely clear internally. Mm-hmm. And speaking of uh, Dupapunkt and um, Knopf, the I, I feel like if Terry had been writing this 10 books ago before he'd gotten so far into the guards books, I feel like he wouldn't have written local guards quite the same way that he did mm-hmm. uh, in this one. I feel like these are I, I don't know if I forget if there's um, if they're already starting to export guards. Yeah, they are, uh, they are. from from yeah. Arc Park then if these feel a little bit like they've had some of that influence already, even if it's just sort of osmosis yeah. of being proper proper coppers. The, where, do, where Doppelpunkt, where, when they're talking about, well, you know, when some of the, the people are like, well, obviously rats couldn't arrest people. And, he and was, he's like, Doppelpunkt was like, no, absolutely, they should be able to. Yeah, yeah, and just steps up immediately and is like, no, there, yeah, there's this will work. We'll do that. In fact, there's some interesting possibilities. Yeah. I think we can make that. And it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a super Vimesy. Later Vimes, not early Vimes even. You see, like using all the resources at your disposal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sort of a, a like an inver- a, a, um, r- inverted Chekhov's gun in that it refers back to the thing that the rats do in the opening scene oh, with yeah. the robber. <laughs> they, do, they go up your trouser leg. <laughs> oh, yeah. That opening scene is, is a really good opening scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, are there any witches or werewolves or <laughs> vampires? Or <laughs> you can just imagine those those highwaymen who run across every single. I just can imagine like they, they have the like list a just card gets longer. Like, are you any of the following? And, and it's also such a great characterization of all of the of the characters right off the bat. Yep. Because stupid looking Keith is like no, and Maurice is just like oh shit. <laughs> I love the discussion about whether or not they should steal the carriage. And it's like, well, no, that'd be thieving. Okay, well, we'll steal the highwayman's horse. You can have the carriage because only thieves are allowed to, to steal. <laughs> the, the, the total, like, loop of logic it took for that is just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I think I think Justin needs to take off their headphones for a few minutes here. <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry, Justin. I know how it feels now. Okay, so we've we've had a lot of uh, discussion over the books about how Terry prototypes things, right? And prototypes characters. And I kind of want to talk about Maurice as a proto-moist. Um, 100%. Yeah. Because it's the – it's kind of the same archetype. Um, I think that moist is – a little bit more refined, but that's only because he has more text to run around in. I think that Maurice also wouldn't work long term, kind of because of yeah. the cat thing. Um, that like some of the mechanisms for the narrative that work because Maurice is more. I'm sorry, because Moist is Moist. You couldn't transplant Maurice into that story. And I think the stories are better because Moist is who he is. Although it would be very um, funny if Vetinari met Maurice. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a good story there. It just wouldn't be as good as what we're gonna get, <laughs> or or it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be as good as 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 going postal and making money end up being. Yeah. yeah. Let's uh let's bring Justin back though. Uh, what else do we think is important to talk about? Um. Well, one thing one thing is that um. So this is something that's like maybe spoiler adjacent, but um, we're, we're going to see another couple of like in-universe kids books um, that Terry actually wrote and published. Um, there's Where's My Cow and The World of Pooh, both of which are very good. Mm-hmm. I really, I really would have enjoyed if Terry had published Mr. Bunsey. <laughs> with illustrations that'd be great that, with like the official Discworld illustrations too like that that book would slap and i would absolutely have it on my shelves yeah one of the things that i really really love about this book that makes it so terry for me and i i sort of mentioned this in the uh in in the summary is structure wise how it deconstructs the the fairy story so much that it's like the last chapter is basically like, and here's the long, boring committee meeting to to deal with the fallout of the events it's, of this book. It's great, though. Yeah. It is great. It yeah. is really great. Because nobody there wants to be there, but they're all there. Right, because they can't not be mm-hmm. there. Because if, they, if they're not there, then they don't get a right. voice. Right. And it's, yeah, and then, and then you have Maurice right in the middle acting as the lubricant <laughs> of, the, of the interaction between the, the just, rats and, and the humans. There's so that thing good. of like, you know, Hey, you know, it's taken me five minutes and I've gotten them talking to you. What do you think I can do in another hour? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good line. This is this is definitely coming in as like number one for me for may, maybe not like number one Discworld book of all time, although I think it's definitely in the top five. Um, but on the list of like possible, yeah. Discworld books that I would hand off to somebody who to be like okay read the read this yeah it is it's a great because like justin if you had started with this you would have been like (laughs) incredibly disappointed by color magic (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) that's that's when you commit to never reading the early ones (laughs) but it's got like you know the it's got all the terry philosophy and it's got like a lot of the really core elements of the other Discworld books, but it doesn't have that baggage. And it's just a yeah. solid, solid book. Certainly of the ones that have that you guys have covered up to this point, that is I can hundred percent agree with that. That this is this would be the the perfect on ramp point. Um I think depending on the exact person, I might still recommend the first Tiffany Aching book yeah. that's gonna come up. That's a little bit of a call of who you're recommending it to. Right. Like if you know that person mm-hmm. would interact with the themes better. But like this is really close. This is really the close. problem with starting with Tiffany though is that you have the Shepherd's Crown problem. That's true. Yeah. But there are lots of people who don't have the same hang up as me. <laughs> or that knowing that there's a second book of the series with that stars the same cast of characters would make them more likely to continue reading. Whereas if you handed them Amazing Maurice and they and and they said, This is amazing, do I get to see more of these characters? And you said no, mm-hmm. they would go, Oh, well, okay, never mind. <laughs> and then just not continue to read. I think there's also a lot of stuff in in Maurice where you could hand it off some to somebody and assuming that they enjoyed it, you could ask them then like, yeah. So what were your favorite parts about this? Because if if they come back being like militia, then you'd be like witches. If you come back with, if they said dark tan, then you'd say yeah, the guards. yeah, exactly. And, that yeah. you know you've got 
you know, a lot of different places where you could then be like, okay, start on this storyline and I think you'll like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's no answer that would ha- that would result you in handing them any of the Rinswin books. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean maybe if the maybe if their answer was I'd like to know more about the magical garbage. <laughs> I mean, I, I think hey, magical garbage is an excellent description for those early books. I, I, you know, I talk about uh, I, because this is apparent because now I, because now I'm the person who actually talks about Discworld with other people. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've 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 gone into this multiple times with conversations with people who haven't read Discworld, and I'm like, you like you know the, the there are like two tolerable Rincewind books I think, and yeah, one of them's the nice. last hero. But it's like you should not start chronologically. Just go on one of the ones that is like, you know, you know, th- book three or four. You know, you can start with those. It's fine. They're a little dated. Whatever. Yeah, I, I think there, I think the, the cool thing is that there's there is a lot of onboarding points. Scott and I were actually talking about this earlier today um, in regards to the, the monster mechanics oh, yeah. episode of this month, uh, which is related to Superman. Which is, I. Which, you know, there there are certain problems like, you know, in any, I think, long form media or any serialized media, there can be a mm-hmm. point of there there is an exhaust. There, there is a critical point where you can where like starting at the beginning is always is not always an option. Oh, yeah. And and there can be a point where it becomes incredibly difficult to onboard newcomers because you either have to start them with the worst quality options or you have to have them jump on in the middle of a f- incredibly long story and they will feel completely lost. Yeah. And I, I think Discord world actually really, really overcomes yeah. that. I think that's it's one of the lar- the largest shared universes written by a single author that I could say, no, you could come in at a lot of different points yeah. as opposed to something like um, – well, heck, any webcomic just about <laughs> you're yeah. like. I think like I think like another funny enough uh, another series that does this that does it very well like onboarding new people generally is Doctor Who. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because you can always come on in a red yeah. generation. Yeah. You know, you, just about you can kind of start fresh yeah. with any with any new Doctor. Um, yeah, that that's a good example. But yeah, like this is this is one of the things that makes a lot of comics really intimidating to me is that like if I were to be yeah. like. Okay, if I were to read the X Men, say, um, which you know, if you if you listen to uh, Babylon Project, you will note that Jude and Justin are both huge X Men fans, and then I sit there blinking at the screen until they go finish. <laughs> I so here's my thing. I would actually totally recommend you to read House of X and Powers of Ten. Yeah, because it's batshit. And it's 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 like actual sci-fi that like wants to engage with sci-fi, but that's that's actually a, that is actually like there are three onboarding points for X-Men. <laughs> that, that's the thing is like there are three. They are all they are all they're they're spaced out in twenty-year intervals. Although I mean, twenty years of content in between oh, yeah. onboarding is still a lot, it man. Is. Like it's it's insane. The, yeah, like this is why I mean when people ask me for recommendations in comics i always recommend something short that has an ending you know that's like here can you read this segment you know the first few issues of of this character or this run by so-and-so when they did exactly yeah or or, yeah i mean or you just you you read something you recommend something that isn't a big two comic um and isn't saga yeah 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 (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Because if you recommend Saga to people, they'll just come up to you like two months later and say, where the fuck is the rest of it? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is, it's apparently coming now. <laughs> yeah. All right, let, let's bring this train into the station. Okay. Any round world references we want to highlight? Oh, there's a very good one. <laughs> there is one other thing that I think is important to talk about before we get into round world references. Oh, okay. Um, sure. which is, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Dark Tan as kind of a Terry avatar. Okay. Because, you know, one of the things that kind of everybody has said about Terry is that he was an angry man who harnessed that, that, you know, and the concept of you can be, you you can be angry and use that anger for good. That anger is, an, is not an inherently negative emotion um the way that it's often Mm. like often we associate anger with violence and i think dark tan is a really good avatar of that because you know we have especially the the moment with the match right he is so incensed by everything here like all of these people Mm -hmm. who have shown up for you know to bet on animal cruelty everything everything in this scene he's furious and he and he decides to not throw the match. That he just holds it and lets it go out, and then it's like, we're done here. Like, you know, there's, you know, throwing the match would not lead to something good, but something else I do could lead to something good. And I think that I think that Dark Tan makes a really good Terry avatar in that way. And he's actually also, yeah. now that I think about it, he's rewarded for not throwing that match because if he'd thrown the match, he would have gotten stuck in the trap and probably been caught in the same conflagration. Right. And if he'd thrown mm-hmm. the match, they probably could not have broken that deal with the town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's possible he might not even have gotten Hem and Pork out at that right. point. Yeah, because it would have all been more hard, more difficult. I think there's, we, we haven't really touched too much on the idea of the Kikis, mm-hmm. the, the so-called um, the so-called geese, the the uh, the unchanged rats, and how the how the changelings treat them is is pretty interesting because at the start we see them very much like ah oh, these they're not they're not people they're not worthy of anything and then when they capture the the one that has that was stuck in a trap mm-hmm. and then almost kind of instinctually end up sort of empathizing with her and like caring for her and being kind because this is now a a creature they've communicated with is a really interesting moment that I would love to have seen more of, of that interaction between them and the, and the other rats that aren't themselves, which is really, would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we see it a little bit in the, in the rat cages or, you know, yeah. yeah. And it's also interesting to me that it's dangerous beings. Who's the one who can communicate with yeah. Kiki. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The least rat like of them is able to. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, uh, Dangerous Beans is such a great character. He yeah. really is. I like that Terry managed to to get correctly that albino rats are incredibly short sighted, yeah. uh, nearsighted, and it's got that that also that vibe of you know the not shaman but like the the sort of the early sort of tribal level holy men often were had yeah. physical or, or holy people often had like physical disabilities that probably yeah. forced them to do more thinking as opposed to less physical activity. 
to find a to find a way to to communicate to their society that wasn't physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 100. There, I mean, the one interesting thing is that Terry mentions in the afterword for this book that um, he did more research on rats than he should that that he should have done. Uh, <laughs> okay. That's a mood. Uh, he's like, a, yeah, I did, but I did. You know, I have looked at more information on rats than any human should, um, including the information and on rat kings. I think there's a yeah, the, the, with the Rat yeah. Kings about like he, yeah, yeah. he 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 mentions that like he he postulates like like in the book uh, Keith mentions a number of possibilities for why it could happen and yeah. or, or, or militia mentions a couple of reasons why it can happen or like that it is and Keith lists the uh, uh, the the Alchemian the Alchemian uh, suggestion, which is that humans did to be assholes. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it mirrors the real life, which is that we have no evidence that this is something that actually happened for real in the wild. We, we have actually, uh, like not at the time of publishing, yeah. but there has been a live, uh, rat King that has been found. And okay. like, I think it was 2013. I, I did some research yeah, yeah, but that's the the, or at least if I'm thinking of the same incident, it's one where there was some evidence, but we don't know where the origin exactly. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where it's definitely a bigger story than it is a natural phenomenon. Yeah. We know a lot more about ones that people have made. Um, but yeah, the 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 amount of research he did is real. Like at one point, even there's even a discussion about the different species of rats, mm-hmm. which leads me to immediately conclude that the changelings are almost some analog of Rattus norwegicus, the the brown rat. Uh, which are larger and uh, a bit stronger, but have a different range and such than the Rattus Rattus, which is the black rat. Um, they they make them point to when they catch ham and pork to point out that he has a different species than the locals, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I mean, I wonder if he if he just didn't have a chance to work it in, or maybe this wasn't known at the time, or not in the sources that he'd hit. But the whole concept of bruxing and boggling is a really ratty thing, and it would have been an interesting thing. What are the What are those things? Bruxing and boggling is there is the sort of the rat equivalent of purring. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when they are particularly relaxed and enjoying themselves, they grind their their teeth because they they have rootless uh, teeth that grow all of the time. So one of their um, semi grooming behaviors is to just grind their teeth against each other. And at the same time, when they do that, the muscles in their skull make their eyes kind of wiggle a little bit. <laughs> Looks like they're um, it, it it's kind of disconcerting the first time that you see it. Um, because they, it looks a little bit weird. Like their, um, their eyes are a little bit going in and out of their skull just a little bit, but when you see it and when you hear the sound of them grinding their teeth, it means that they are incredibly happy and content. Hmm. Um, and it's, there maybe there wouldn't, there's not a particularly good opportunity to have shown that, but I, I love it as an example of like how each creature has its own signs and language that you can read if you know what to look for. Yeah. I mean, this, he does the one thing, which is like the cowering, uh, which mm-hmm. is the I like how there's there's physical components to their language even yeah. though they have language. We didn't actually get to round oh, yeah. references. Should we do the round rule references? <laughs> yes. Um, yes, there is a there is a point in the book where uh, when they're snooping around malicious says the only way that they could be uh, doing better is that they had uh, if there were four of them they had a dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite bits of the book. It's so good. <laughs> Apparently, it's a reference to Enid Blyton's famous five stories. I'm bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I understand that. I understand that it is a reference, and that is the more likely one that Terry is going for. <laughs> but, I mean, but it can that, it can be something else in yeah, our hearts. That transatlantic Fair. translation there. That is that is like 
That is like calling something chips. It just means something different to us here. <laughs> it's it's yeah. like um, it's like how we all looked at Susan in Thief of Time and were like Ms. Frizzle, even though that's absolutely not what Terry was going for. <laughs> but we were still all yeah, like, yeah, yeah. she's Ms. Frizzle now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of textual references yeah. to the Pied Piper of Hamelin mm-hmm. uh, all over the place multiple times, but that's basic. Oh, we we didn't mention the sisters. Oh, Grimm, yeah. Uh, Melissa's aunts who were the, the, I mean, obviously the reference to the Brothers Grimm who are the famous folklorists. Well, that that's a whole, uh-huh. that's a whole other uh, rabbit hole that would be interesting to go down at some point. That's not now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, that's true. Yeah, the, the kind of early you know, the the evolution of folklore and fairy stories is fascinating mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. yeah so, so specifically the sisters grim agoniza and eviscera <laughs> god those are some fantastic and, names and militia in that first interaction with keith deploys the name and is like you're gonna make fun of me you're gonna you're gonna be like well that's a weird name he's like sounds like a name <laughs> Sure, why not? Whatever. And I love that Keith is just Keith. <laughs> yeah, he's just Keith. Good on him. He's Keith. He's a good yeah. boy. Just good old reliable Keith who just wants to play on his pipe. Who has hidden depth, but really just wanted to play on his pipe. Yeah. Yeah. I have a little ship, uh, which is I I want Sergeant Doppelpunks and Sardines as platonic life partners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've already repeatedly stated my my desire for a uh, of Vimes Dark Tan crossover, mm-hmm. but even I would take even just a rat in the watch mm-hmm. um, would be really cool. Yeah. I would I would love to see Maurice beat the shit out of Gaspode the Wonder Dog. Ooh, Gaspode and Maurice would be really good. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're both so incredibly jaded in such different ways. Yeah, uh, or like uh, Maurice and Quoth working uh, interacting <laughs> yeah. with each other would be interesting too. I could see, I could see where he's scamming his way into yeah. working for death. I mean, death, death, death likes cats. I like. Okay, so I something that I that I that I want to come back to. Maurice calls death, sir, <laughs> which is the most cat shit ever. Of like the only person I will show respect to is the actual fucking Grim Reaper. And even then, he still tries to scam. Yeah, like he's trying to negotiate <laughs> the number oh, yeah. of lives. I've got six left. Five. Remember that cart? <laughs> it barely touched me. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I, I yeah. just, uh, yeah. But then, like, the the fact that he negotiates for dangerous beans' his life is I because cried. it's... Yeah. I cried. It, it, oh, it's yeah. because it's so Maurice. Good. It's the innermost essence of maurice at that point which has changed dramatically and just like and and changed because other people believed that he could change Mm -hmm. or that he was different and he couldn't bear to let them down and then it's wild because even with that he's like i won't remember this right because it'd be way too embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) i have i have standards to uphold here okay ratings all right um i'll rate this five out of three trap disarming squads I'm going to give it 45 out of 40 Mr. Bunsy books. I'm going to give you the last word in a sec, Scott. Um, I give it 65 out of the $30 Maurice claims he has. And I will give it everything but the green wobbly bit. All right, Justin. Okay. What's the next book? Nightwatch. Okay. Oh, Oh, shit. (laughs) We're here. Oh, shit. Uh. Uh. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, there we go. Okay. Nervous noises. One moment, Sam Sir Sam Vimes is in, is in his old patrolman form, chasing a sweet-talking psychopath across the rooftops of Ankh-Morpork. Park. The next, he's lying naked on the street, having been sent back 30 years courtesy of a group of time-manipulating monks who won't leave well enough alone. The Discworld is a darker place that Vibes remembers too well, three decades before his title, fortune, beloved wife, and impending first child. Worse still, the murderer he's pursuing has been transported back also. Worst of all, it's the eve of a fabled street rebellion that needlessly destroyed more than a few good and not-so-good men. Sam Vime knows his duty, and by changing history, he might just save some worthwhile bucks, though it could cost him his own personal fortune. Plus, there's a chance to steer a novice watchman straight and teach him a valuable thing or three about policing. Unimpressionable young copper named Sam Vimes. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> there are a lot of Discworld memes that will suddenly become. I don't like this. Very understandable. I don't like this. But yeah, it 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 uh, is in fact uh Sam Vimes does a bell riots. Okay. I was I was thinking just like from the way this is sounding, I'm like, this is late biz, isn't it? <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, so it is late biz. Okay. <laughs> it's not not late <laughs> oh, I'm gonna go listen to all the little angels and cry. I swear to God, if there's a barricades thing, I'm going to fucking. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> <laughs> the Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the fair use doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please, share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at Pod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>